From the 28th chapter of St. Matthew, our Lord said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, and especially today, you confirmands, Nicholas and Sarah and Ian. We just sang it, holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. The scripture declares it to us, and therefore we confess it, but the human mind cannot fully process it. And indeed, treading beyond what God has revealed about himself regarding who he is and and how he is, it can undo even the brightest of us. Fact is, it almost undid St. Augustine, perhaps the most brilliant Christian theologian of the early church, certainly of his day, the, the late 4th and early 5th centuries. Augustine tells that he'd been at great pains to understand fully and to comprehend, and then much less to explain this mystery of the Holy Trinity. In fact, he said the deeper he reasoned about it and he thought about it, the more confused he got until at last, as he said, he began to lose his faith. And then he tells that it was one night that he had a dream. He dreamt that he was casually walking along the seashore when he came across a young boy there. Now the boy who wore a rather determined look upon his face, was quite busy. He was busy taking a bucket and full of purpose walking with that bucket down to the sea where he'd scoop it up full of ocean water and then march up to a a little hole that he'd dug in the sand and then pour that ocean water into the hole and then turn right around and march down to the sea again and scoop more and do it again and again and again. Intrigued by it, in his dream, Augustine asked the boy, he said, boy, what are you doing? Without breaking working stride, the boy looked up at Augustine and in a most confident tone, he said, sir, I'm I'm emptying out the ocean. And then the Christian thinker awoke from his dream with a newfound contentment because he realized he too had been trying to empty out the ocean. Would that we try fully To understand God, we too would be filling buckets of futility because that ocean is too big. Even St. Paul, who was no slouch of a theologian himself, St. Paul, who after 11 chapters of divinely inspired words to the Romans would finally break out and say, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his ways past finding out. Past finding out. On our own, it's true, past finding out. Independent scientific research cannot contain God in a test tube, can't confine him in a laboratory or place him under a microscope. Psychologists can't psychoanalyze him on the couch. Investigators can't interrogate him under the bright lights. Biologists can't dissect him on the table. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, declares the Lord, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than yours. He simply is too big for us. Let's be clear about something. Though too much for our small minds, these mini processors of ours, to put it in computer terms, though too too large for our small minds, these mini processors to comprehend, he's not at all unknown to us. And this is an important distinction to make. How God is, what he is, this even the angels who behold him constantly, Even they are at a loss to explain, and they still marvel over and always will. How God is what he is, that light we can't begin to approach. But that he is what he is, this we know. Because he's told it to us in the Holy Scriptures. He's revealed it to us as the confirmands could tell you. As they told us in their interviews recently, God is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent. All-powerful, he's omnipresent and immutable, unchanging and transcendent, high above and yet at the same time imminent in all things. He's triune. And he's got many other characteristics which he's revealed to us, but he's given these to us to know about him. And so in today's text, the text that we hear today consider on this Sunday of the Holy Trinity, on this day on which we also mark the confirmation of these three individuals. The text that we hear today in this text, we're given another bit about God to consider. But this bit, this is a special bit about Him because it's His name. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three persons. One God. Three persons, one name. Now name certainly can be awfully informative. They can tell us an awful lot about a person. For instance, they can describe a family occupation as so many of our names do. The name, names like Baker, Shoemaker, Smith, family occupations perhaps. Or they can tell us of a family relationship like the name Erickson. So often names are descriptive in that regard. You think about the name of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Certainly descriptive, these words are. But, friends, what he's given us here in this text, in his name, it's far more than a point of information about him. No, but rather it's, it's the point of contact to him. The point of contact to him. And that's a marvelous thing. Theologian, Lutheran theologian, John Kleinig helps us to understand the magnitude of this gift, God giving his name to us, this point of contact to him. In an article that he entitled, Why Name God, Kleinig writes this. He says, the greatest gift which God gave to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, was his holy name. He explains, in this one gift, he included all other gifts which he ever offered his people. When God gave his name to the Israelites, he gave them himself. For by his name they had access to him personally. By his name they had access to him. We have access to him 
personally. And that is something to think about. In that name, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have an audience. Think about it. An audience with God, the Father Almighty Himself. The advocacy of God the Son. The comfort and the consolation of God the Holy Spirit. And you think about that for a moment and we realize the importance of that name given to us, given for us. It can't be overstated. Precisely because we are who we are. A race of creatures that has separated itself. Collectively, we've separated ourselves from him. Isaiah tells us that it's our sin that has separated us from him. And in this day and age, sin is so often swept under the proverbial rug. But let's be clear where scripture is clear. It's sin that has separated us from our God. The, the psalmist clarifies even further that this condition isn't something that we obtain sometime at some period in our life. As the compromands learned in their instruction, and many of you have too, the psalmist says, no, but from conception even. Brought forth in iniquity and even from the point of conception. It's our sin that accounts for the paradise of, of the Old Testament reading that we heard today. Paradise lost. It's sin. That's the fruit of that hand of the first woman. And the first man that reached out to take hold of that which was forbidden to them. And contrary to God's will for them. Certainly we can't blame Adam and Mother Eve only. How often have you and I, how many times have we reached out to obtain for ourselves that which was contrary to God's will for us, never intended by God for us? It's sin, and it's real. And it separates us from God and from one another. And so, we'd have to say John Kleinig in his quotation is right. For fallen creatures like us, the blessing of this name and all that it embodies and the access that this name gives, it is the greatest, greatest thing that our God can offer to us. Of course, be it for the people of the Old Testament or for we, the people of His New Testament, the gift of His name and the access freely given to you by that gift and freely given to you by that gift was certainly far from free. Well, it cost you nothing. It cost you absolutely nothing. One of the confirmation verses you'll hear today reminds us it was by grace we have been saved and this a gift from God. Well, it cost you nothing. It cost God dearly. In the council of the Holy Trinity, from eternity it was determined that God the Father would send God His Son to become our flesh and blood, yours and mine. And by His Son's perfect life lived, He'd replace our imperfect one that we've lived. And by His Son's sacrificial death upon the cross, He would make perfect and complete satisfaction. And hear that loudly and clearly, perfect and complete satisfaction. For all of your sins and all of mine, confirmands yours too. And that's exactly what God the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures tells us. 
And so he tells us about the love of God. The Father demonstrated in God his Son and how dear it is. How dear it is to the ears of those of us who know ourselves to have been separated from God by our sin. How dear it is to hear these words of scripture where God tells us you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For God was in Christ, scripture says, reconciling the world Bringing the world and himself together. Reconciling the world unto himself. Not counting our trespasses against us. And the gift, this gift is intended for all. Indeed all nations, right? But the access is through that triune name. And, and you confirmants, you were connected to that triune name. And all of the blessings that it embodies, as were we all, from the day that, that you were baptized. Baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One on an April day and one of you on an August day and one on a September day some 14 or so years ago. And on that day, you first wore his name and bore his name. And with it, all of the righteousness of Christ Jesus that was clothed upon you, placed upon you, symbolized so often by the wearing of a white robe at baptism, perhaps, or like the white robes in which you're clothed today. And through the years, you've been taught, as have we all been taught the things the Lord has instructed that his church hold dear, as you confirmants have been instructed in the articles of the faith, learning by his words and his gracious deeds who this loving God is. What he's done for you. And it's in his name. Just as we did this morning, it's in his name that we begin our services. For it's right here, dear friends. It's right here where God the Father who created and preserves us still. It's here where God the Son who has redeemed us, where God the Holy Spirit who yet sanctifies us, it's right here where God condescends to meet us, to meet us in his word and his sacraments, preaching, baptism, the Holy Supper, the supper that you three today, for the first time in your lives, will receive, when you here today receive the very body and blood of your Lord Jesus Christ. It's a meal that you here below will never outgrow. Here today, here we are. This verse of our sermon text in full motion. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the church, doing what the church has been established to do, that's making disciples of all nations and all the world, by baptizing them, incorporating them into that saving name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that he's commanded. Namely, the, the preaching and the sacraments. The word here in the original Greek is really quite revealing. Our versions often convey a sense that God's given some commands and rules and, and we're to keep them, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. But really... The word is actually tereo in the Greek, and its meaning is far more tender than that. It's far more tender than a cold keeping of the rules. It means cherishing and treasuring 
the determined embracing of something that is so dear to you that you would not let it go even at the risk of, of pain, at the cost of life. Confirmands, in just a few minutes, you will make a solemn vow that you intend to continue steadfast in this confession in church and to suffer all, even death rather than fall away from it. The confession of that triune name that by grace you bear may one day require that of you. God knows. But know this for certain, that if it does in that day, he will most certainly give you the strength to endure it. But likely most won't be called to lay down their lives for the confession of the faith. More likely you'll be called as you are even now to confess the triune name of God in the very ordinary and average and the very daily things of life, school and work home, at the dinner table, and the things that we do as we live our lives. And this too may cost you. Unwilling to compromise the convictions that you hold, you may lose friends. Popularity may suffer. Conversation, communication perhaps with relatives or family may wane. Opportunities may pre prove elusive as the culture around you becomes more and more intolerant of the faith and the convictions that you hold and cherish. The confession of the faith you've held since baptism may cost you, may cost us all here below. Sometimes little, sometimes much. But whether little or much, what price? What price when we compare it to the promise of our Lord who said, Confess my name before men, and I will confess your name before my Father who is in heaven. As the choir sang for us this morning, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I'll mention this lastly this morning. During the Second World War, there was, as some may recall, a long and a grueling siege by the Nazi army of the Soviet city of Leningrad, and food was scarce, and it was winter time. And at one point during the siege, many of the Russian parents, in order to try to spare their children from starvation and also from capture by the Nazis, loaded their young ones onto trucks to send them across the frozen lake and into safer locations. And it's said that many of the mothers, certain that they would never again see their children, yelled out to them as they were being driven away. The trucks pulled away, they yelled out, remember your name. Remember your name. You're Christians. Confirmants. Remember the name of the one into whom you were baptized. And the, the name that promises us eternal life. In that name, the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.